it's Liz Kelly. I want to tell you about our great football coverage on the Ringer Podcast Network. Every Monday, Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal recap the weekend and guess next week's NFL lines on the BS Podcast. On Wednesday mornings, Ryan Russillo hits the hardest angles in college and pro football on our new podcast, Dual Threat. And on Wednesday nights, Cousin Sal and the Degenerate Trifecta figure out the best gambling angles on Against All Odds. And five times per week, the Ringer NFL show reacts to the latest news with Kevin Clark, Robert Mays, Tate Frazier, Mike Lombardi, and the Danacy football crew. Subscribe to the BS Podcast, Dual Threat, Against All Odds, and the Ringer NFL show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore. I am black on the air, you guys. Very excited to be back. It's kind of in a jagged schedule we have this fall, but um, we're trying to get out as much as we can because there's so much going on and there's so much to cover. Uh, today's episode, I have uh, Eric Holder. I talked to a couple of days ago. Such a great interview. He's such an interesting guy. I could have talked to him for a while. I think you guys are like that. We um, talked a lot about he's really involved in the upcoming election and we talked some about gerrymandering, redistricting, a lot of exciting stuff like that. <laughs> about your boy Trump and all that stuff. It was fun. But there's so much going on. So here's the thing. I got um, uh, our friend <laughs> our friend Tommy Alter sitting here right now. How's it going, Tommy? Hey, Larry. Tommy drops by, you know, graces us. I, I stop in sometimes. Stops in sometimes. Tommy's a global trotter. I told you guys this. You know, I'm always excited to hear who he's hanging out with. But... Tommy was very, he's a little bit, I don't know if he's sad this morning or if he's kind of looking forward. We're talking about 2020, of course, which makes, if you're, if you're Depressing. not. Depressing. It's, yes. it's, a, it's a bleak conversation. Yes, it's, it's a very bleak, bleak. Because here's the problem, you guys. You know, you've heard this from me before. I make predictions that I hate. I'm in the uncomfortable pr- position of prognosticating things that I don't like that makes me throw up in my mouth. And I did that. In 2015, where I said— Yes, you were I, early. Yes, you were I didn't early. like making that prediction. One of the most early. Now, I'm not even just saying this yes. because we're on your show. No, you were, I know. Anyone in the public eye, it was this dark thing where you kept saying Trump I was going to win. I said going to win. And everyone it was, was like, bad you, you don't know what you're talking about, Larry, and you just kept saying I, That's why we called it the unblackening in the beginning, because I saw it had nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. It had to do with getting that black out of the White House. All the black Whoever stuff the on the most, walls. Of the, the most yes. unblack person exactly. is. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. We got to unblacken this whole town right now. I mean, I came straight at it from a racial point of view. But even though some of that is in jest, it is. I'm. I was looking at it from a cultural standpoint that America, like Trump's America, was being so being pulled so far left from their point of view. They're like, "Fuck this shit. We got to put the worst white man possible, <laughs> the worst <laughs> example possible, who is guaranteed going to stick up for us." Guarantee going to stick up. Fuck politics. That's it. That's it. He's going to say both sides, you know. (laughs) That's our guy, you know. So having said that, I talk about a little bit of this with uh, Eric Holder, but I think Trump is governing not out of policy or ideology. He's not like Reagan where people—Reagan had a big following with young people who were caught in this resurgence of the conservative movement, and there was kind of a movement behind Reagan that kind of buoyed— his presidency, especially in the beginning, but it was around the ideology of a pure conservatism, you know. Uh, but Trump doesn't have that. There's no ideology that's that is booing no, him. No, there's it's, zero ideology. No, it's cult of personality. Yes, he's the guy that, from their point of view, sticks up against the bully left. 
He's that guy. And, he says fake news. He says this, that, you know. And this is why this is why the Republicans, not to get off 2020, but this is why yes. a lot of Republicans are worried about the fall of yes. 2018 is right. they're running people that are not Trump. They're fake Correct. Trumps. And so yes. they try to act like him, yes. but they can't pull it off. No. And his fan base doesn't care. And running against some uh, kind of new, attractive Democratic candidates, which is interesting, too. And, yeah. You know, who who are now being a bit fearless on their own of Democrats who aren't, aren't afraid anymore to be well, to actually be progressive. And, and also <laughs> some of them have learned have mm-hmm. learned lessons from Trump because the, the irony of Trump. Yeah. As, from like a political standpoint is like there were certain things he did that were brilliant, even though he didn't even know they were brilliant. Like sure. the fact that he was like. He would talk to anybody. Yes. And he would just, it was all attention all the time. CNN was his bitch. Yes. Yeah. Right. All of them. All, I mean, all, seriously. All and, the cable news. All they did. Right. They would just have a live shot at him three hours before he would speak. Right. They just would be like, oh, Trump's going to come. Let's let's cut yes. out of all how, of the How many other- times has CNN suspend their coverage just to uh, listen to Trump speak for like an hour? Yep. I mean, it was amazing to me. This yeah. kind of fly on the wall thing that they had, you know. Yeah. And- and uh, by the time it was too late, you know, there was nothing to be done about it. You know, yeah. By the time they realized that maybe we're like propping this this guy up, it's just he's right. already the cat's already out of the yeah, bag. Yeah, Morning Joe had the same thing. I, yeah, I, I joked about it the correspondence because <laughs> I was they so mad. Hard funny. <laughs> yes, they treated him such like a buddy for so long, you know. And then when he, of course, he's the. You know, scorpion and but, frog. When he, way, when he stings them, they can't believe the scorpion. Not, and we don't even relitigate them. all these things. But not right. just morning Joe. He hosted SNL. No, I know. He hosted SNL. I even know. our even people that we love who do the late night shows. And like, like everybody had him on. It wasn't there. Yeah. There wasn't a thing where it was like right. where 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 there was a calculation very early on. That the one place was that was unfairly attacked probably was Fallon. Um, because Fallon, that's what he does all the time. Yeah. Like, he's really not a political guy. Yeah. So people tried to blame Fallon for Trump, but it's like, stop it. That's what Jimmy it does. It was just, it was just bad people luck. People were just mad at it because it was of just, the timing. Yeah, it was right. bad luck. It was a month before the election. Right. If it had happened six months earlier, nobody yeah, would have cared about that. It was a month before the election, right. and it was also this weird thing where it wasn't even like the, the thing he did with him was that complimentary or anything like that there was just a picture he just got caught it, it was weird nauseatingly funning yeah. I mean I I threw up I immediately was texting Joe Miller my friend and Samantha B we were going back and forth oh, this is the worst thing yeah. in the world so I was caught up in it too you know I, you know during that time you know but so all of this brings us to 2020 and Tommy and I just made a bet it's a bet that I hate to make but I am unfortunately betting that I think Trump is going to win in 2020, guys. We're almost in November now, and all the indications have not changed for me, you know, unless for some reason he's gone and doesn't run for 2020. I think if he runs, I don't see how he loses. And I don't know who that charismatic candidate on the left is right now that can beat him. And I'm saying it this way because I honestly don't believe that somebody can win attacking Trump's faults because the people who vote for him don't care. Policy is not going to matter as much because we're not in a deep recession right now. There there aren't obvious things you can throw at the president except for his, of course, incompetence and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. like I said, those people don't care. So it has to be, it comes down to cult of personality. It really does. Yes. So who is like the only person, that's why people thought Bernie Sanders was the only person who really could have had a shot against Trump. Although, I don't know if that would have worked, you know. But you do need somebody with a big personality. So, 
We now have a bet for a steak but dinner. I'm going to tell Trump's you. Trump's going to win. I'm Tom's saying he's not. Ma- so who's your boy? Who do you see, got? This is the who's problem. Your boy? This is the problem I have who's, in this argument. Who's, who's your girl? This is the problem. Who's going to come out? Who's going to be Trump? This is the problem I have Trump? in this argument. I don't have a boy or girl right now. I don't have <laughs> right. that answer. So that's right. a big. That's a big. We'll keep our eye on That's it. a big blank. But what I think, yes. what I think, and part of the reason why I'm confident in this bet mm-hmm. is there's a couple things. One of the things that. And we've talked about Trump's base before on the show and everything like that. There's like a yeah. 24% of the country that literally, he said it, he said it, he was totally right. He, he said, could I shoot could somebody sh- I could shoot someone for that yep. they wouldn't care. And that's, that's true. That's, there's that's no, the majority of his base. There's no possible thing yes. he could do to ever In lose fact, them. they under, could be there witnessing the shooting. They could, he could shoot yes. one of their family members exactly. and they wouldn't do anything. It, oh, it wouldn't change. he shot my nephew. Oh, yeah, well, you know, it. he was in a lot of trouble anyway, that exactly. nephew. He yeah, probably deserved to be shot. It wasn't me. Thank you, President Trump. <laughs> that fake news is going to report this the wrong <laughs> fake way. Fake news is going to report the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> so that, he's never going to lose them. The problem he's going to have is sort of twofold. He won, he beat Hillary. Obviously, he didn't, even, he didn't win the popular vote, but he beat Hillary with a certain number of independents who want to change. Right. And there's always, it's always the problem every incumbent has is bringing those, bring those independents back who mm-hmm. like being independent. Right. And if their life has not gotten noticeably better over four years, they may say, you know what? I don't even know who this, no matter who the Democrat is, mm-hmm. my life hasn't gotten better. And this guy is like clearly done a lot of things on like a personal level. Forget mm-hmm. politics for a second. Forget their pocket for a second. On a personal level that everybody agrees are just not appropriate for somebody in the White House. Mm-hmm. And so they may just say, you know what? Like, we're sick of this. We're sick of the, we're sick of the, we don't necessarily like the Democrat that much, but we're sick of this annoyance and we just want change. And so but, he's going to be, he's going to be the one facing the people who want change. And, and he was that guy in 2016. Yeah, but So, I, so I, that's I, point, that was my first thing. And the second uh, thing is, and this is a totally an anecdotal point, okay. but I see this with his tweets now. And you can see this when he, t- it used to be for obviously when he was running and even when he was president for like, mm-hmm. A year at least, maybe even like a year and a half, he would send these this crazy shit out on Twitter, and everybody would freak out and all. Yeah. Now he does it, and like people don't even really care. No. It doesn't make any difference. He's like, it's like a man. Well, kind of numb to it, you know. But we, have, we need so many shots of heroin now from those tweets. Yes. To even have the same effect that that first shot had. But, but I think, you know? but to you, the point we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier about how he was his oxygen when he was running was this attention and was mm-hmm. this. Good or bad, he was the. I don't. I. I think that is. I mean, obviously, he's still the center of attention everywhere. Yeah. But I think that there's a. People are have just become like exhausted. Exhausted by him, it's, and it's possible. But here's the thing: the I believe the low information voter. When I say low information, I mean people who are busy with their lives. They're not into politics as much as people like us are. That type of thing. I think a lot of people who support Trump do it out of reflex of that he represents them. Even if their life hasn't changed much, they feel like he's fighting for them. Like, that's the unconscious association. Yeah, he's not perfect. He's not this. But at least he's not one of these libs, you know, yeah. that's going to sell out our country and blah, and blah, And the blah. fighting the media thing is a good, is a good yes, political it strategy. it is. Believe me. And, but there's not a lot of thinking that goes behind it. Like, we ascribe too much thoughtfulness on a lot of people who are making these decisions. It, there's not. People are going to make decisions in the last 30 days on a lot of well, these things. Or if they're not, minds are made up. Or their minds are going to be made up two years before, let, like I'm saying, and nothing's going to change. Let that. me throw a name at you. There you go. Who, who, it would be sort of an interesting idea, and I want to see what you think about it, because this is assuming he doesn't win his Senate race. Mm-hmm. But uh, our boy Beto in Texas. What about him? 
if he were to run. Because, and this is why, and there was a big thing in Vanity Fair about this that, that came out a couple weeks ago. I forgot who wrote it. Basically, the point of the, of the piece was if he wins, he's not going to run for president because he will have just won, and it's a huge thing for the Democrats to get the Senate race. Like, like Obama? To, to, yeah, but Obama, Obama wasn't, <laughs> but he was, he was a state senator. He wasn't the, like winning no, a Senate. Obama, no, Obama got the Senate seat. Well, he got the Senate seat, but he had yeah. been the, it was also Illinois, and it was just, right. And it was it two was a years. Vacant Senate yeah, seat. it was two right. years. Like this would be like he would immediately win. No, Obama was to, senator for two years. No, no, I know. But right. if Beto were to win in the fall, right. he would immediately start going to Iowa. Like it would just be a weird thing where like he wouldn't yeah. even serve in the Senate. But at to all. me, would, that's the Democrats looking for the Robert Kennedy savior but, or no, but whatever. This, but this it is, is yeah. this is my case for him: is not forget the forget the looks, forget the right. all that stuff. He's clearly very popular in Texas, mm-hmm. and if we'll you're. See. Well, based off of no, we'll see. That's true, but we'll see. But based off of based <laughs> right. off of polling, whether he wins or not, he's clearly the fact that he's in within the, one point or in whatever. In the liberal part of Texas, yeah. Well, but, people also really hate Ted Cruz. That's true. Ted that's Cruz true. has but, done an amazing but, job but, of garnering hatred but, for himself. But what I'm saying is, if you are, if you're, and there have been examples of this in the past of of on both sides of Democrats and Republicans flipping. Like local candidates flipping states that normally go the other mm-hmm. way because people want one of their. Right. So if you're a Democrat and you could somehow win Texas, the race, the thing's over. If you have Texas, New York, and California. Just it, because they have a senator doesn't mean the state's going to go that way. It doesn't, not for sure, but it makes no. it a lot It, Tr- it makes me, it a lot more I'll likely. I'll make you an even bigger bet. If you're going to bet me that Texas is going to go Democrat in 2020, I'll make you a, a bit if bigger Beto bet. If Beto is the candidate, Texas is going to go Democrat. If he becomes if, the candidate, if, wait, if, hold if on a second. If any other candidate, no, no, no. it's not going to. If he's the candidate for president? Yes. No, Texas still, still, does, still goes red as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Mm. Al Gore didn't even win his own state in 2000. That's true. He would have won. He, he lost pres- Tennessee. He would have been president if he'd won. He lost his own state. He lost it bad, too. Yes. He lost for like 12 points. Thank you. So they're, the example of that doesn't but even they're not exist. The same. they're not the same. Al Gore was that. At that point, Al Gore was like this boring. He ran against George Bush. Yeah, but he was this boring vice president. But he ran against George Bush. He hadn't even Bush. been in Tennessee in like 10 years. <laughs> he just happened to be from there. Beto's like, he's around the state 24-7. He's, he's a... All right, whatever. All right. So if that's your boy, then good luck. I'm okay, not even saying we'll that's see. my boy. I don't no, think that's going to be the boy. nominee. No, I already know he's your boy. No, I think, the, mm. I, think the, I think the Democratic nominee needs to be a boring military person. I disagree. I think it needs to be someone who is— Disagree completely. I think it's someone who is stable. No. I think it needs Absolutely to be— Absolutely not. I think it's somebody who has to throw caution to the wind and be— Well, what do you think about Elizabeth Warren? I think people know her already, you know. In a good or bad way. I think in a bad way to be president. She's definitely running. Yeah, but good luck. We'll see how much yeah. of a, a campaign she is. Corey's running too. Yeah, but you know my opinion, Cory Booker. You know, I like Cory. I think I think Cory gets a bad rap. Okay, I think he gets a bad, <laughs> I think he gets a bad rap. I think that people. I think people are so cynical now that yeah. they expect they they think that everybody. Let me put it like this: He's I. I don't think yeah. he's going to win. I wouldn't bet on him as a, yeah. I wouldn't. I don't think he would have any shot. Yeah, and he also talk about like. You're talking about the unblackening. This is the problem with this is the problem with uh, any minority candidate. Is you're running against this like stiff wind right now. That sure. That but we'll see. It may be the time for a Latino or Latina. We'll see. Better. We'll see. You never know. I know one Latino who's, who's <laughs> running for Senate in Texas. Okay. Thank you, Tommy Alter. Sticking in talking about that. I do want to talk about this Serena incident. You're happy to stay here and talk about it. So 
you know, over the weekend, Serena Williams, if you saw the U.S. Open, um, she was letting the referee have a piece of her mind and how she felt about it. Um, In the style of, as we've seen, a lot of male players, there was a lot of uh, discussion about this and everything. And it's funny because I've had different opinions of it over the week, but I wanted to sit on this for a while and see how I really felt about what this is. And and, uh, it kind of went beyond the initial incident. Uh, So at first she was blaming, she said that they don't treat men like this and that sort of thing. And whether or not that's necessarily true, I don't know so much as the point. I think so much as how people are kind of reacting to it, which is what I'm kind of sitting on. And one of the reports that I saw was kind of interesting was, I don't know if this is true or not, but some umpires threatening to boycott umpiring for Serena Williams. Okay, this is ridiculous, you guys. And so this made me think of this a little bit differently. And by the way, I want to point you to Martina Navratilova's article that I think she wrote for the New York Times. It was really good. This is coming from a champion who was going through a lot herself. I mean, she had to hide the fact that she was a lesbian, you know, when she was playing. Um, and, you know, she she took a lot of abuse on the court, you know, and wasn't didn't quite have that vocal style of some of these players. But, you know, that's part of it. You don't feel like you have permission to, you know. Um, <clears throat> so as a, as a black athlete, the permission to be a liberated person is something that black athletes have dealt with for a long time. You know, um, it's one of the reasons why Muhammad Ali, you know, was treated the way that he was. He was a liberated black athlete. And by liberated, it's when a black person acts independent of white society's expectations of how they should act. That is black liberation, you know. And when Ali did this, of course, a lot of people don't know this, you know, they felt that uh, there's kind of a, a straight line about he was in, he refused induction into the army for these religious reasons or whatever, but it didn't quite happen that way. Once Ali started speaking up, his draft status was changed. And a lot of people don't know this. The government did a deliberate attempt to punish a black man who was liberated, okay? That's what happened, you guys. That's the actual history of it. It's more than Ali just refused to go into the, into the service. Something happened before that. His draft status was changed, okay? That's the government saying, no, black man, you can't be liberated. <laughs> There's a price to be paid for that. Athletes have known this for a long time. Um, it's something that has shown, you know, its different forms over the years, you know. The way that Tiger Woods first came onto the scene is a lot different than the the way we experience Tiger today. He came out as kind of a black liberation character, but that's not really Tiger, but Nike kind of promoted him that way, like, here I I am, world, (laughs) that kind of thing, and and the first things that Tiger was saying out of his mouth was that he couldn't play on certain courses, and he was there kind of making a statement, and a lot of people got threatened by that, you know, but Tiger kept winning and this sort of thing, but he pulled back on a lot of that type of thing. And and I think, you know, he just kind of disappeared from being that type of figure, you know. But now we have Serena Williams, and we have a combination of black and a woman, right? And Serena Williams, what here's what I love about Serena Williams. Serena Williams, I love her intensity, you know. I like intense competitors. And to me, part of her intensity is she's going to go on a tirade sometimes, but that tirade is an expression of her intensity. It's not always nice. It's sometimes it's downright ugly when she said she wanted to shove a ball down somebody's throat. <laughs> I mean, that's a horrible thing to say. But, you know, we've seen that in men, 
And when it's happened in people like McEnroe or in Connors, even though we acknowledge that it's bratty behavior, they're kind of idolized for it and they're kind of celebrated as, yeah, look at what he said. You know, I know he's a bad boy. He's a bad boy. You know, like bad boy is never a bad term. It's a good term to be a bad boy, you know. But nobody says, oh, Serena, she's a bad girl. (laughs) Nobody says that, you know. not at all. No, people, they she's penalized for that type of behavior. There's an amount of respectability that people want from that, you know, because it's the, it's when a black person doesn't owe you something. You know, they dare to be on the same level, you know, yeah. and to and to expect the same reactions that people are just it's uncomfortable. Like she, it's like people are expecting her to just be stoic all the time and not and not show yes. any sort of emotion there's, or there's the uncomfortableness of equality of expression. You yeah. Know? And uh, there was a joke I did once before when I talked about the the first class test when I said we're not we're not comfortable with um with black privilege, you know, and some of this is about black privilege too. Like if you go, if you walk through first class and like on an airplane and it's filled with white people, you don't even think about it. You know, you just think, oh, first class is packed today. You yeah. think about anything. But if you go through first class on an airplane and it's filled with black people, you immediately get uncomfortable. Or <laughs> you notice, you go, what's going on? Is this, are these the Lakers? What's <laughs> happening? Frank? They're about, uh, excuse me, sir, are we going to Jamaica? What's going on? Like there's something wrong. How could all these black people <laughs> be in first class? Is there a sale? My today? world is upside down, you know. But you know, did you see the thing with with this judge that the o- that he also gave Venus the same penalty, and yeah. it's the only time that either the two of them have never had this happen to them before, yeah. and it's the same judge. Right. I don't understand why there was a male judge doing a women's final anyway. Well, I think to that's me, like a, all those things are minor things as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because to me, it's the reaction to Serena that I think is interesting of how people choose to react to her, like like. Why is this a problem? You know, this shouldn't be a problem. It's just who she is, you know. Um, but a lot of it, too, is Serena is right, even though it's people don't like to hear someone complaining with the truth sometimes because it feels like they're in a victim conversation, you know, and especially if they're on top of the world like Serena, it's like, how dare you have a victim conversation with us? Yeah. You know, they don't want to hear it from her. I'm saying some people don't, you know. But I thought it was telling. The best part about what Serena said is, like, not about her, but if other women down the road, and she didn't even make a distinction about race, too, which is probably correct. If other women down the road have to be involved with this type of thing, then that would be good, you know. And— I was just struck by that, you know. I just thought it was. I just thought it was really, really good, you know. What did you think about this thing with the with the 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 union, the referee union, or the judge union potentially boycotting? But that's what I mean. It's it's a reaction to a black woman and so a you woman. Think that's, you think because my my I thought that my sort of take on this was uh, that what you're talking about is like the reaction from fans and commentators and stuff yes. like that. I don't understand why, and this is not a unique to tennis. Why these referees and judges think that people are paying to see that like why like just- well look here, here's the thing though a lot of these umpires yes they take a lot of unnecessary abuse that's a fact yeah you know and the question was why does it seem like women are treated unfairly more than men when this kind of and i will say it's unfair abuse happens because they're just doing their job of course they really shouldn't have to have this kind of abuse which is a separate argument. And if they want to unionize, it may be around how to more protect themselves around this maybe type of abuse. But when they say they want to 
uh, do some actions against one particular player, I have a problem with that. Yeah. That's when it's like, well, hold on, Me motherfuckers. Too. Me too. Now you're making it personal. And if we're saying that a lot of players do this, it should be a blanket statement about— A hundred percent. Yes, it should not be a personal and, statement about Serena because that, that's, that's when my radar comes. I say, wait, slow down, motherfuckers. That, and also, if you're I'm right. aware of the boss of this associate, I'm like, you know what? We'll hire all new judges. Like, see you later. Like, yeah, peace. Serena is our— like, Thank you. Serena is peace. our meal ticket. So yes. you guys, like, peace. fuck you guys. We ain't about good, you. Good luck with the boycott. Ain't about you. Right. <laughs> Go back to, like, JV, to JV high school tennis. Exactly. Like, we're not even going to consider this exactly you know but uh anyhow that's just something i wanted to talk about um and a lot of it is um i was thinking about there's another article i want you to read i don't have time to talk about it but linda bloodworth thomason who who uh, was responsible for so for um i think designing woman was her biggest show but she was huge in the early 90s she wrote an amazing article about the Les moonbiz thing and and her uh, relationship with that and how she was kind of shut out as a voice in Hollywood. But it's so important, guys. Please read that. And next time we talk, I'll share with you more of my story on the Bernie Mac show and how I faced some of this issue of speaking out and defending yourself and that type of thing. You know, and this, it's all related in this. But when we have more time to talk about it, I will. Um, last thing. So, Tommy, here's the here's the last thing, guys. Um, so... <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. I don't even have really anything to say, but I feel like I'm at my wits' end when it comes to black people being killed by cops. Are we talking about this thing in Dallas? Yes, oh my the brother God, who's in insane. his own apartment. It and it's basically he's broken into, and the way this story is being framed, and the way it's being reported is, I have a problem with this. Like. He didn't listen to commands and things like that. <laughs> in his own apartment. In his own apartment. When are you supposed to listen to yeah. commands? But for a fact, if this thing was turned around oh, be- and a black man was in this white woman's apartment and gave her commands and shot her, it wouldn't there- even it wouldn't even be a story. Um, it would be, be a story on it would be a story on Fox News. Well, that's, that's true. A but fact. it's like he'd be on death right. row. It'd be like if there just there would be no there, or, or 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 no no. It's crazy. It's really crazy. It's also it's the interesting thing about this particular case is all the people in the apartment building are just coming. They're like not letting this woman yeah. twist saying, the mm, thing. I don't know like, if that's what we like, heard. No, yeah. no, we didn't hear that. Like, actually, the keys the keys of the apartment don't right. work that way. Like, exactly. Like you, so they're almost doing the thing that, like you would think would happen. But they made like, it seem like he was burglaring his own place. Like the door slightly jarred, was dark in there. Crazy. He was lurking about. Oh, maybe he was robbing his own place. You know, it's crazy. But that I was I was kind of like. I was kind of heartened by that because what it when I was first reading about the story, what it what felt like was going to happen was the whatever the police union down there was going to basically like get her out of it, right? And it was going to be a thing where they were going to just say it was an honest mistake, she something happened, da da da. And then her story keeps getting it's basically her story keeps getting torn apart by every by every witness, and the witnesses aren't waiting to like be interviewed they're just talking so they're just saying you know what right. like, she's lying about this and I guess the, the last thing that I'll say about this and we'll get to the, uh, my talk with Eric Holder is you know the fact that because this is where we are right now as a country too this is where a lot of our division is and this is not the racial thing that it seems to be too it's like why is someone shot and killed like why the fuck does the why the fuck did that happen you know like why can't there be another outcome of this of 
hey, you know, what's going on? And what are you I'm doing t- here? Yes, yeah. exactly. Why did the lights not come on immediately or whatever, if this is how she yes. said it? I mean, in my apartment in New York, I've been on the wrong floor before and walked up to the door and then— I start to put my cane and go, oh, fuck, that's not my place, you know. But I didn't shoot anybody, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. that I, it would have ended with me killing somebody. Yeah. You know, th- that's the part I don't understand. But it's kind of a metaphor for where we are as a country. This thing that uh, there's a, a let's call it a miscommunication, and then someone is dead. Someone is dead. And, and, and someone is dead because someone has a gun, and there is instant— uh, an instant judge and jury that happens and th- in this in this moment. Someone know? is dead, and then the person who does the killing tries to get out of it. <laughs> and so I, that's the other thing. It's like, no, well, I don't need to, I don't need to take blame for this yeah, because it's, it's, like, it's it's the person without a gun. It's their fault. Like this feels like it's right. like an open and shut thing. It's like you did this, you fucked up, yeah. you're going to jail. The only thing it's opening is a lot of wounds yeah. around a lot of issues. Tommy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, having me. Got a nice talk with uh, Eric Holder. He's got some interesting things to say. Um, we'll be right back. More Black on the Air. Okay, welcome back. Uh, this is a treat, guys. I am here with uh, someone I've, I've admired for quite a long time, and I found out that they were admirers of my old show, The Nightly Show. Absolutely. The esteemed... Attorney General for the Obama administration and a uh, man of many talents and abilities, Mr. Eric Holder. All right. It's good to be here with you. Now, uh, Thanks for coming to the show. Let's bring back the nightly show. Let's start an online petition. Let's do this. It's a, You know what's funny is that people... People feel like the show is in a box somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, just like everybody out. involved with the show, like they're just deactivated in a box somewhere. Well, well they're not. Yeah, and all you have to do is open that box well, and, yeah. and activate everyone, and I then was, the show is there. I yeah. was working under that assumption. That, well, you know, if, oh, if only life worked like that. Let's make know? this happen, man. Can we Come do that on. with the Obama administration? Oh, if only that were true. <laughs> See, if exactly. Only that's that's what that I'm were true. Is it just sitting somewhere? I bet if you gave me 48 hours, I could get the administration you, together again. Let me. T- I bet you could. Let me tell you something. When people were joking about if i don't know if obama joked about this but when he he may have joked about running for a third term mm-hmm. i believe he would have beaten trump what do you think about that there's no question that he would have beaten trump yeah. i think that you know you saw trump would have been taken foolishly in the way he should have right yeah yes there's also a, a, an interesting study that showed that there were 4.3 million obama voters who did not vote in the 2016 election. Are you trying to blame it on black people? Is that no, what only one. That sounds like a blame it on black no, people no. poll. No, no. One third of those folks was, was supposedly African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And if you'd had those people voting, that 4.3 million voting, or and the, the third of those who were African-Americans, that would have certainly put him over the top in the industrial um, Midwestern states that mm-hmm. Hillary lost, and, and I think would have carried him to victory in even some of the other states. So I think because Obama definitely had a, a certain talent as a politician to bring in extra people but it's funny because gore beat bush you know and you know clinton won twice and everything you know i guess bush the second time he clearly won it's really just that's really the only blip in a long time where yeah there's not a a clear consensus of who the american people want outside of the electoral college i'm talking about yeah i mean you know hillary winning by almost three million that's clear that's a clear a clear decision on the behalf on the part of the american people that uh they wanted her to be president in spite of the fact that you know 
Trump is still of the belief, I guess, that there were 3 million people flown in from Mars or right. something to cast votes were you, for him. <laughs> were, you, were you still part of the administration when he, when Trump was elected? No. You I were left. done, right? Yeah, I left. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had left before that. Did you talk to anybody when it happened? What, what, were, what was the reaction you heard? Some some fresh stuff. Well, you know, I was mm-hmm. I was with I was campaigning for Hillary. Um, oh, you know, okay. as Attorney General, you're not allowed to campaign, and so right. this was my first. I was my first my my first return to the campaign trail since 2007 2008. It's supposed to be a non political position, right? Yeah, and right. so I didn't do any campaigning in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think everybody was very surprised, shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there was a sense of complacency. But all the polls, mm-hmm. and I think the um, Trump polls showed it as well. And the polls actually showed were, were correct in showing that a two po- two to three point differential in the popular vote. Mm-hmm. But nobody saw what was going to happen in in uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and, and Wisconsin. No, nobody saw that. And you feel, from what you said, that there wasn't. It's not because of some Russian collusion or tampering or that type of thing. Do you think it, there was something that? Was kind of hiding in plain sight that uh, oh, I, no, maybe I, the I, Hillary campaign didn't quite address. Is that is that what you think happened? I don't think that we as a nation took seriously enough mm-hmm. the threat from Russia. And when President Obama indicated to the Republican leadership, Republican leadership that uh, he wanted to publicly talk about it, you know, Mitch McConnell famously said that if you talk about this. Uh, this Russian involvement that tends to seems to favor Trump. I didn't know you had that conversation with them. Are you talking about like in October of sixteen? Yeah, before the election. Yeah. Right. And McConnell said, "Well, if you do that, <clears throat> I'm going to label it as you know political interfering." Oh, okay. And um, as a result, the the warnings that the Obama administration made were not as um, as strong as I think they might have been. Right. But I think you know hiding in plain sight. You also have to take into account the fact that there were these voter suppression efforts. And uh, mm-hmm. there's been a good study by a guy who I think everybody should be familiar with, a guy named Ari Berman, who has looked at um, these voter suppression efforts. And he makes a pretty convincing case that you probably kept enough people away from the polls in Wisconsin to probably flip that state for uh, African-Americans, uh, to flip that state for um, mm-hmm. for Trump. Or could you make the argument that— <laughs> The candidates themselves were enough voter suppression. I mean, that's what some people feel. Unfortunately, I know I'm not trying to slam a girl, you know, but I'm yeah. just saying. You yeah, know. the energy level, um, you know, was interesting. There wasn't the 2008 enthusiasm that no, was no, there. No, there wasn't. Let's put it like that. No, there wasn't. And, fair. you know, I, I spoke to a friend of mine who lives in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. um, and he said— African-American guy, and he said, you know, people aren't feeling it up here. Um, right. It, that's what I'm talking in, about. In the barbershop. I'm just see, not. That's the level that I always feel you have to go to to see how right. people really feel, like right. that type of person. And when they speak it directly like that, it kind of, that cuts through, like, all those scientific well, polls. the deal know? is, yeah. so I'm listening to Rod, who's my good friend. I won't use his last name. But he mm-hmm. was saying this, and I kept thinking, yeah, that's Rod. You know, he drinks right, a little right, too right. much. And, right. you know, so, and, but he was right. And, right. Um, and I will also say that— uh, Melissa Harris Perry. She mm-hmm. was. She told me the, the same thing. And you know, this she said this is not going to be a victory for Hillary. Yeah. And again, I thought being in the campaign and looking at the at the polls and just looking at um, what I considered, I think a lot of us considered, almost like a firewall mm-hmm. that it was almost it was almost impossible for her to lose the election, even if it came down to simply an electoral college count. It's okay. hard to see how he got to two seventy. So from your expert opinion. Other than people that didn't like Hillary, which you have to discount, or people that drank the Kool-Aid mm-hmm. about her emails, whatever that bullshit was, which right. is ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. Right. And the, the, it's ridiculous. It, well, right? I mean, as you look back on it now, 
there was all of this hubbub about this and kind of like, and so what exactly did we see in these emails well, that was so nefarious and so bad? Not I the, always felt, actually, this is a good thing to ask you because you were there. I always felt like the whole Benghazi thing was a calculated attempt to weaken Hillary for the coming election in the first place. Oh, absolutely. That's the way that I saw it. Absolutely. I never took that for at face value for what it well, was. And as I remember, Kevin McCarthy, yeah. who's, I guess, the number two person in the House, actually said That's that. exactly right. right. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there was definitely a softening you know, of the candidate. But what but what about the people who, you know, didn't have that? This this is that that soft the uh soft electorate that didn't go out. What do you think was that thing that didn't make them at the end of the day? Was it just complacency? Just simple complacency? I can think of a combination of things. Uh, I'm not sure I'd, I'd call it simple complacency. Uh, I think there was um Obama was an electric candidate. Right. You know? Um He's obviously first African-American, but beyond that, um, he is a great politician, a great communicator. Mm -hmm. Um, Hillary, I think, would have been a really good president, maybe even a a great president. She Mm -hmm. doesn't have the same communication skills that he has. I think a part of it was misogyny. Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, the notion of having a woman Mm -hmm. um, as a leader is something that uh, a good many people have a problem with, you know, and I think that's going to be— you know, I, I thought we were past the point where um, that would be an issue. I, I remember something that Shirley Chisholm said. I remember thinking about this a couple of days after the election. She said she was one of the first African-American women, mm-hmm. I think, in the House. 19. And she said it was more difficult for her to be a woman in the House of Representatives than it was to be an African-American. And I remember thinking at the time that she said it, how can that possibly be true? Race trumps all, you know? What you talking about, Shirley? Exactly. And I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, there may be a a degree of truth to that. But we can't even take a woman being intense in a tennis match. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, you know, I'm I'm looking at that thing. The world is losing their head over that. I mean, I I don't know how old you are, but I have visions of John McEnroe and all the stuff that he used to say and get away with. And, you know, Serena... Is a thousand times worse. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're the the uh, demure uh, type or whatever. That probably is more of a sexist thing than a racist thing. I always believe there's a little bit of both going on. Mm-hmm. There. I mean, it's one thing for a woman to be acting like that, but a black woman like, right, right. No, but, <laughs> laying it down like no, we're that. Not, we're, not, we're not going to let that happen in the you know, oh, yeah. genteel world of tennis. Fox News just lost their mind over that and everything. Uh, what's interesting, uh, going back to uh, Trump, mm-hmm. um, Every day is so—it's it, amazing to me, some of the stuff that comes out of there. Um, <laughs> having been on the other side, does it does it feel like all of the things that are being reported are real to you? Or do you think it's probably even worse than we can imagine? Well, I think it's actually both. Okay. One, it doesn't seem like it's real. It doesn't seem like it could possibly It seems be surreal real. for someone who was right. in, in the arena, right? Right. I mean, somebody who has spent maybe 30 years of my professional career in government and at, mm-hmm. you know, some in high-level positions, a lot of these things seem impossible to be true. And yet, when I hear or I read, you know, the Wolf book, the, the Amorosa book, uh, the Woodward book, this op-ed— my guess is that it's probably worse than what they are reporting, or mm-hmm. at least as bad. And that is unbelievably troubling to think that you have a president who is experientially, temperamentally, psychologically unfit for office, um, and he's just there. And mm-hmm. uh, to have that level of dysfunction um, Especially given the world that we are confronting, you know, whether it's North Korea, Syria, dealing with with the Russians. You know, what would it be like if this was 1962 and we had another Cuban Missile Crisis? Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine 
Donald Trump doing the kinds of things uh. that John Kennedy did there, you know, having the the wisdom, the ability to, you know, stare down the Joint Chiefs of Staff and, you know, n- negotiate things so that we don't end up in a nuclear war. I mean, I, I, that's a frightening thing. Right. He would have called Castro a loser. <laughs> yeah. He, he'd been tweeting. And then, right. you know— But when, Khrushchev would have been his friend. Yeah, well, well, he yeah, actually would have bowed down to Khrushchev. I guess yeah. he probably would have left— let, the missiles stay in Cuba. That's probably the deal. Actually, that is, that is correct. There we go. He would have done that. So right. we would have had a different problem. There we go. Uh, it's so insane. What, did you have a take on the, um, as Trump would say, the anonymous letter? The anonymous letter? That's, oh, that's yeah, how yeah. Trump pronounces it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Well, you know. The, the anonymous letter. But um, I want to use his pronunciation, the anonymous letter. Or all right. It yeah, it's bigly. Um, I think that mm-hmm. the... The right of the letter did us a service in mm-hmm. letting us see into the Trump administration. And you believe that, right? That's not bullshit. No, I, th- I think what we're, we're seeing there is, is too, because there's too much other stuff that's consistent yeah, with, with the letter. I have a lot of problems with it. But I have yeah. a problem with the letter in the sense that the person does not identify himself right. or, or herself. And it also gives me great concern when as much as I dislike Trump and think he's unqualified for the job mm-hmm. to think that the president of the United States is not making the calls. I mean, that this unelected staff mm-hmm. is doing a whole variety of things in very important matters. Um, that's not the way our system of government is supposed to work. Yes. And why would someone want to stay in that situation right. where they're coddling the most powerful person in the world and yeah. hoping that he doesn't put his finger on the on the wrong button? Yeah. I mean, there are people in a, in a variety of positions who I think are going to have to explain on their resumes, why did you serve that president? Um, If you went in there at the beginning, you had to know who he was on the basis of the campaign that he ran. But maybe I'll give you that. Once you are in the White House and you are a part of this administration, you see how this president has acted and you continue to stay there. um, You know, I don't want to hear from Sean Spicer, Kellyanne Conway, um, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the apologists, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee, whatever. I don't want to hear from those apologists. And then the the people who are doing the more substantive positions um, as well. Now, I I say that, but then I think, you know, well, having Mattis there is probably a good thing, Mm -hmm. you know, the Secretary of Defense to— potentially stop Trump from doing something that would be disastrous. But it seems like somebody like him wouldn't write a letter like that. That no, doesn't seem like no. something a military man would do. No, that's not my guess. I, right. I, you know, my guess, somebody in the national security establishment, um, but when, when they say senior official, that doesn't necessarily mean cabinet person. It could mm-hmm. be an assistant secretary of, you know, something or other that people <laughs> are going to go, wait a minute, is that senior? And Right, but, of shoes or but, something. But by the like New York right. Times definition, that— in fact, is a senior person. Right. How how much actual trouble, based on that and all these other things you're talking about, are we really in? And seriously, I don't even mean this as a joke. No. Like, yeah. how much actual trouble are we in? I think, and I'm not being hyperbolic here. I mean, I think our— That's dem- how I'm asking you, I, too, I think yeah. our democracy is under attack mm-hmm. um, in terms of the kinds of things, the norms— who's, who's attacking it? Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who serve him, um, you know, this notion of eroding these norms that would separate the Justice Department from right. the White House, using or, or hoping to use the White the Justice Department as an arm of the White House yes. to get at political <laughs> right. opponents. Like I mean, he's also he 
he thinks that, like, he looks at you as Obama's boy, you know, <laughs> that, that Obama had his boy. How come I don't have my boy? Yeah, I, I, like, I protected President Obama, right, like and he's mad that Sessions didn't. Yes, it's kind of like, there's Sessions a, there's isn't a, his boy, and he's mad about that. There's a fundamental problem with that is I had nothing to protect Barack Obama from. You know, he exactly. didn't do any of the things that you did, Donald Trump. You know? Right. And so you, you have that. And then you have on, on on the substantive side, I mean, today they're knocking down the EPA rules on methane. Mm-hmm. Um, they've knocked down, you know, the clean air things. Well, a lot of Republicans are getting what they want, by the way. Well, like see, they're and, taking this, this door being open where people are running in out of the government and nobody's in charge. And they're taking that door and getting a lot of shit done. Right. I mean, right. people should not think that this is a Donald Trump run amok. Yes. What he is doing is putting in place the Republican slash conservative agenda right. Right. that um, will bespoil our environment, will make it more difficult for people around this country mm-hmm. to cast ballots. Um, it's the, you know, every almost crazy, wacky Republican idea that for some reason has not been enacted in the last 30 years, he's putting in place, including putting on the bench, you know, any number of judges who are certainly out of the mainstream, many of whom who've been nominated are not particularly qualified. What do you, what do you think is his magic? Why does he have magic powers? Um, I think he, I'm not because sure. He, nothing I, hurts him. I mean, he really does. I mean, and this, once again, I really don't mean this as a joke, yeah. you know, because there's something beyond. I think some of that stuff is bullshit when people keep telling me how these, you know, these Trump voters, these coal mining people, you know, they, you know, they're hurting for money and all this. So mm-hmm. apparently the economy is doing great and it's mm-hmm. roaring. I like, what's his magic right now? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I want to know, how does he keep a hold on people when he's obviously incompetent? He presents himself as incompetent all the time. Yeah. I mean, he does so many things. That would have been anathema to a Republican doing them, the way he's coddled up to these authoritarian figures. You know, I mean, uh, I was dragged in uh, in the right stream press for a bit that we did on that kid who eventually was killed in North Korea. But we were we did something on our show. And mm-hmm. I really regretted it after the fact, you know, it was a year and a half later that he mm-hmm. passed away. I'm not dancing somebody's grave. It was mm-hmm. sad. At the time, we were doing a piece about the American attitude of thinking you could just steal something in a country like that without consequence. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our point of view. Right? And I mock like the UCLA players who sold the sunglasses to LeVar Ball's kids. You know, that's just my opinion. They don't play the same games that we play over here. You can't take that attitude. Right. Dragged horribly for it, even on Fox News, like on all these websites. Trump, on the other hand, he coddles this dictator like in in the wake of this kid. You know, he died very recently. Like, right. that's the part I don't understand, Eric. That right. that does not hold up because any, think about your boss would have been dragged horribly. If he treated Kim Jong-un the way that he did and continues to treat him in the wake of just a simple event like that, I, I don't understand why well, people no. have turned the, their— uh, Well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, my guy— Got grief for wearing a tan suit. Yes, exactly. You know? Wearing a tan suit. But in truth, he should get dragged for that. Let's be honest. Uh, suits, I mean, he did suits, wear mom suits. jeans for a long time. Yes. Uh, I don't know about yeah. the mom jeans. All right, maybe, yeah. maybe not. But the tan they suit, were a little poofy in the front. The, yeah. the pan, tan suit was all right, though. <laughs> the tan suit was all right. I remember Obama bowling. You can't put these things past me. All right, we're gonna, right. we're gonna. Okay, right. this, this is the best you got: mom right. jeans, bowling, and tan suit. It's as a threat a, to our democracy, as far as I'm concerned. Right. right. As opposed mm-hmm. to the things that this guy. 
um, has done, you know, coddling dictators. There's not, it seems, an authoritarian figure who he doesn't think that he admires. But in fairness, of course, with any administration, there are some things. I had a lot of problems with a lot of the drone activity that was going on in the Obama administration. You know, you had some problems. Remember the Fast and Furious Mm -hmm. thing that was going on? It was not something— you know, that was, these aren't casual things that people are concerned about. Right. You know, there are serious things that happened during that administration. Even the, the BP Gulf oil spill, I remember, right. yeah. you know, and yeah. how that was handled, you know. But um, I felt Obama always approached those things, even with the Syrian red line, which, you know, that was a tough one. He always seemed to at least approach it from a competent standpoint, mm-hmm. even if you disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, I think you had the sense, and it was a justifiable sense, that there was thinking that went behind the decisions that uh, he made. That he was thinking about um, the consequences of the decisions that he was going to make. That he was, you know, looking not only to the immediate decision, but what was going to be the impact of that decision. Mm-hmm. With Trump, again, you don't get the sense. I mean, again, on the basis of these books, he's asking, well, why do we have troops in, you know, in South Korea? What's that, what's that all about? It's like, how could you possibly be president of the United States and ask that question? Yes, he didn't only ask the question. He promised to take them away. Like before, he actually promised to take them away before he asked the question. Right. Well, and the cancellation of those um, those war games. Yes. Which, which seems, you know, to some people maybe inconsequential. That's sending signs both to um, yeah. Kim Jong Un and then to our, you know, South Korean allies and to the Japanese, um, Japanese as well, and to the Chinese ultimately to say that you especially know, especially the Chinese, right? As they rise um, and are asserting their power in the South China Sea. It, this is not the time for America to appear to be the thing that he hates the most, weak. And that's, why, that's I think, the way he comes across. <laughs> yes, just ignorant or whatever, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, concerned. weak and ignorant, okay. Are we more in trouble on the uh, international global scale, you think, or the, or the domestic one? Which, which holds the most, um, you know— well, I, I think I think I'm, I think it's both. I mean, you know, on the on the international side, he's cast um, or tried to cast aside a, an alliance with European nations that has kept the peace there for seventy, eighty years mm-hmm. or so. But he gets a lot of support for that. There's a lot of snottiness, um, Eric. I don't know how much you listen to uh, chatter from mm-hmm. from the right and that kind of stuff, talk radio, those types of mm-hmm. things. I eavesdrop on that. From time to time. But there's always been, for a long time, by the way, kind of a snottiness towards Europe and European values, Europeans' relationship with America. Right. Uh, England's kind of been excluded from that a little bit. But sometimes they're included when, when they disagree with, with the policy. But there's a, a big European snobbery that exists on the right and has existed for a long time. So they're kind of getting what they want in that attitude. Well, when you consider you know, that— Which is ridiculous, by the way. Well, of course it's yeah. ridiculous. And you consider that— uh, when 9-11 occurred, the only mm-hmm. time that Article 5 of the NATO alliance has ever been invoked when a nation, the, the, the alliance was going to get together to give um, a sister nation assistance mm-hmm. was after 9-11 when all those nations said, we're going to assist the United States. They sent troops to Afghanistan. Sure. So for all those snobs, that's a very concrete example right. of um, the help that you are supposed to get from that alliance. But beyond that, it's hard to calculate that which does not happen. Mm-hmm. But there have not right. been, as we have seen over the course of the 20th century, conflicts. Russia was kept at ch- in check mm-hmm. as a result of the um, the existence of the NATO alliance. Um, 
Putin is getting exactly what he wants by mm-hmm. having Trump do all kinds of things to destabilize exactly yeah. to destabilize the NATO alliance. And then right. on the international side, I mean, the whole question of uh, pulling out of the, the Paris Climate Accords. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about the very existence of this planet. I don't know. My kids are 25, 23, 21. 50 years from now, what's this world going to look like? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, would they have the ability to live in lower Manhattan or will it be under the water? You know, right. um, those are the Miami. Same thing. Is Miami going to be here? Will it be the same mm. planet that we know? Miami. <laughs> no, just, I don't know. No, no, Calle Ocho <laughs> might not be here, you know? Right, You're looking exactly. for some good you know, beans and rice. It might not be there. <laughs> no, I think those are going to stick around. Right? All right. Well, uh, speaking of young people, you're on the ground more these days, you know, engaged in, mm-hmm. in uh, the elections and everything. What's happening on the other side? Are people aware of the urgency of the moment that we're in right now? Yeah, I think I think you see mm-hmm. it um, in the special elections that we have um, that have occurred. You mm-hmm. see really substantial numbers Some of interesting candidates have come out. Uh, interesting yeah. candidates coming out and huge numbers of people mm-hmm. um, voting. The problem I have though is that. There's going to be definitely be a blue wave, I think, mm-hmm. this November. But that blue wave is going to be running into uh, this gerrymandered wall that yeah. the Republicans have put up. And whether that wave will actually get to shore, it's not clear to me. In Virginia last year, there was a 10-point differential between the Republican vote and the Democratic vote. Democrats, Democrats won by, by 10%, mm-hmm. but did not take the General Assembly in Virginia. And as you look back on it, all the analysis has been done, and that's strictly as a result of the gerrymandering that mm-hmm. Republicans have done there. So I'm uh, the head of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, and we're fighting for um, for fair districts. If we have fair districts mm-hmm. that will be drawn in 2021, and if we have a fair census in 2020, um, I think that you know, it's in a battle, a fair battle between Republicans, conservatives, Democrats, progressives, Democrats and progressives will do just fine. But it's mm-hmm. got to be fair. And this is the NRDC then. Uh, yeah. Yep. Are you a part of that organization? Or yeah. just kind of working I'm the head of the NDRC. Okay, you're the head I'm of the, the I'm the chair. Yes, you mm-hmm. are the chair. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Let's get that out there. Here's there we the chair. go. Um, so let me ask you this. So let's talk about gerrymandering yep. a little bit. Um, this is one of those subjects that I think a more people would like to know more about. I think a lot of people don't understand the consequences. I don't know all the nuances. So some of the things that I don't know is like <laughs> when the uh, when the bad. <laughs> I mean, all gerrymandering is bad, but there's been kind of a modern movement, I guess you could say, of redistricting. Mm-hmm. When do you think that started to kick in? When when it feels like it's, I think this happened a lot on the Republican side. Not to blame them for everything, mm-hmm. but. Um, are we like 15 years out on that? Is it yeah. maybe? It's interesting. I mean, the 2011 gerrymandering that the Republicans did, mm-hmm. Princeton has and done. And which a, kind of districts, what did that happen in primarily? Well, or was this a, a. At the state level as yes. well as at the congressional level. Okay. Um, you have in Pennsylvania, which is a, you know, a swing state, kind of leans Democratic, 18, con- 18 congressmen there. Mm-hmm. 13 are from the Republican Party, five are from the Democratic Party. Okay, now can you, before you get into that, can you describe to me how redistricting works? Like, who asked for that? Why does it even happen? Yeah, we have to Uh do it every 10 years on the base. When there's a census? We have a census in 20, uh, every 10 years. And then a year after that, you have to um, draw new district lines on the basis of the census count. So it's based on population. Based on population. And who makes the decision how those squiggly lines should be drawn? It depends on the state. In California and Arizona, um, it's done by a nonpartisan redistricting commission, which I think is the best way to do it. In most other places, it's done 
done by the state legislature in conjunction with the government. And in those places where you have a Republican governor right. and both houses of the state legislature are controlled by the Republicans, they just went to town in 2011 and mm-hmm. drew up these gerrymandered, unfair districts that have kept Democrats out of power, regardless of the amount of the vote that you got mm-hmm. over the course of this past uh, this past decade. Yeah. What now? How do you how do you address something like that? I mean, is that something that can actually be reversed? How long do you have to wait for a redress to yeah. the to the redraw? Well, we yeah. are we're, we're coming at it in a number of ways. Um, mm-hmm. We're supporting candidates so that when 2021 gets here and the redistricting has to be done, that we have Democrats in mm-hmm. places, go- governors, state legislators, but also like in key sp- uh, positions like in Ohio, the state auditor mm-hmm. matters a great deal. So we're going to support the Democratic candidate okay. for state auditor there. Wow, you guys are being smart about this. Huh? We're, we're trying to be. We're trying to be. <laughs> so we're going to support mm-hmm. candidates. We're also bringing lawsuits. Um, mm-hmm. In North Carolina, you almost don't have a functioning democracy in, in, in North Carolina. In what way? What do you mean? You have um, a Republican um, legislature there that is doing everything that it can to maintain power. Mm-hmm. Um, you elect a Democrat, Roy Cooper, really good guy. They go in a special session and strip from the governor powers that every governor in North Carolina has always had. Mm. We win in the courts. They go into special session and they try to take power away from the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, they put in place these um, voter suppression measures, these things, these photo ID laws that have a disproportionate negative impact on people of color, um, young people, people who tend to vote Democratic. And getting rid of polling places. Getting rid of polling places. Yeah. They tried to close. Some, yeah. In all, Georgia, I think? Right. Yeah. yeah. Seven of nine polling places. But mm-hmm. they tried They tried to do a lot of this stuff you know, under the radar screen. And whenever— um, we find out about it or people find out about it. I think we've got to, you know, express the concerns that um, I think ultimately stop them from closing those seven polling places. It was really interesting. They were going to close the seven polling places for this November's election that mm-hmm. had been used for the primary elections in the same year that had been used this year. You know? Did they think it was broken? <laughs> well, well, exactly. What, what's, what's, the, you know, what's the basis for that? You know, mm-hmm. you, you'd use them like six, seven months before. What do you think is the biggest way like gerrymandering is— I feel like it's anti-democratic. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you think is the biggest way that manifests itself? Oh, I think that's why I think people really need to care about this because it manifests mm-hmm. itself in a whole bunch of ways. Uh, it affects people's lives on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, where you see the greatest amount of gerrymandering, you see the greatest amount of voter suppression. Um, you see mm-hmm. places that have these um, reproductive, these anti choice laws where women are not given the right to make reproductive decisions. And it doesn't um, quite represent the constituency. No, no. Uh The American people are overwhelmingly in support of expanded uh, background checks when it comes to the acquisition of guns. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't see that passing in any of these places that are gerrymandered and where uh, these gerrymandered um, Republicans are in the back pockets of the the gun lobby. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, you can go issue by issue where the American people stand for one thing and the Republican gerrymandered Congress and then these gerrymandered state legislatures are taking positions that are inconsistent with what the people want, but they don't face any electoral consequence as a right. result of the gerrymandering. They're, because of gerrymandering, they're more concerned about a primary than they are about a general election, which pushes, pushes Republicans further and further to the right. Right, and I, I feel it's anti-democratic because it doesn't allow— compromise to ever come into politics no because you have to stick to your extreme sides 
Because, exactly. you know, as you talk about primaries, that's that's right. how you got there in the first place. Right, because right? if you're a Republican— and that's, and that's for both sides, by the way. Right. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. if you're a Republican who is seen as compromising, interacting with your Democratic counterparts, that's seen as a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. You're not being a real Republican, and that subjects you to um, a challenge. And so that leads to the dysfunction in Washington and in these state capitals, which leads to the cynicism that we see in people saying, well, my vote, you know, doesn't count. So hopefully through this effort that we are all about come 2021, 2022, we'll start to, you know, get this back. Um, Is there a place where it's the most egregious, you think? Any state where it's the worst? We have 12 target states. Mm -hmm. Um, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Nevada. Those are all the Trump states. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) North Carolina, Florida, Uh Texas. I mean, those are the places where I think you see it um, at its worst. Mm -hmm. Um, In Wisconsin, the 2012 election, they they got less than— uh, 50% of the vote Republicans did. They mm-hmm. ended up with 67% of the um, state legislature and 60% mm, of the um, Trump of the congressional delegation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and then again, because those districts are embedded, it's almost impossible to beat those people in a, in a fair election. Now, are the people that you need to come out on elections, the people in these districts? Yeah. Okay. How do you do that? I mean, that's that's what this is all about. <laughs> that seems, that's the piece of the puzzle right. that's like, yeah. Yeah, between now and um, and November, this is all about get out the vote. People have to understand that um, every election counts, every mm-hmm. race matters, every vote matters. Yeah. Every vote matters. Uh, what President uh, Obama talked about in, I guess, the speech he gave just a, a few days ago, mm-hmm. uh, he talked about the need for— um, civic engagement, civic involvement. And from my perspective, I think that people, especially people of color, owe a debt to people who sacrificed, who gave their lives so that we would have the right to vote. Why do black people always got to be in debt? Eric? Oh, because I what think we this, are. No, I think we are. debt thing? Yeah. No, well, no, I, I, I think we are in debt to um, those three civil rights workers who were killed. Sure. They were there. You know, people said they were killed. And people don't remember that they were there registering people to vote. Right. Viola Liuzzo, you know, trying to g- mm-hmm. get people the right to vote. The right. the march uh, over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, all about voting rights. Yeah. And we dishonor their bravery, their courage, their sacrifices if you don't do the simple thing of voting. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. No. That's for sure. Well, um, it's funny because— there is such an ennui sometimes in these off elections, mm-hmm. and people don't understand the importance. You know, when you said every vote counts, people only translate that to the general election, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, you mean every vote counts, meaning um, every election counts. Exactly. Is yeah. maybe a, a, a different way to say that. Right. Every vote matters. Every... I, I think people don't realize every election counts. Right, right. You know, because we always hear every vote, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, getting people to care about the small elections is one of the biggest challenges. Because I believe that I think Republicans are better at that than Democrats. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of the state legislatures and and you know your your government, your right. your governor houses, and all these things are so slanted for yeah. the Republicans. And by the way, the same thing that with the uh, whole Supreme Court, Michigan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole stealing it from Obama, which mm-hmm. was a complete. Thievery, as far as I'm concerned. Right. But it was done because they had leverage. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which came from votes. Well, first, I mean, the first thing you said I think is exactly right. Democrats have not focused enough attention on state and local races. And the NDRC, the organization that I had, the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, we are focused on state and local races. Mm -hmm. We're not focused on congressional races. We're focused on state races. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's right. Um, And what the Republicans did with Merrick Garland, who was a perfectly wonderful, great judge, totally qualified, is something that I think casts great questions on whether or not uh, Neil Gorsuch is a legitimate Supreme Court justice, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a raw use of power. Yeah. Now, I think— It was. That's a great way to put it. If the Democrats are lucky enough to take the Senate um, in uh, in November, I don't think that— Democrat, a Democratic Senate should confirm any Republican, any Trump nominee to the Supreme Court that is not acceptable to Democrats. I mean, you know, and if it means keeping a seat open for the next two years, Democrats have to be prepared to do that. Does I mean, that you make, know, we got, we got to be able to fight them in the same way. But let me ask you this. Does that make the situation worse? You know, at some point, you know, uh, you know, at some, why is it always Democrats, though? No, gotta, I know. Like, but, you know, we well, got to back down. But in fairness— it was the Democrats, you could argue, started the modern movement with the Bork nomination. You know, people would say that, <laughs> except until you let you know. You gotta no, pe- I know you, Bork was very problematic. You got to pe- peel that back. And- I understand, but it, Teddy Kennedy, the way he even went after Bork, you know, and, and the way in which they went after Bork, I think, kind of changed it. Not so right. much the yeah, some the, of the some not of the, so much the content of what Bork was about, some of his stances that he had right. on record and that sort of thing. I I felt it was. More style over the substance. Well, I was gonna say it. some of the language that was yeah. used was was charged and and maybe even in some ways a little unfair. They were taking out their feelings about Reagan, right. <laughs> feeling like they've been kind of stepped over. I think. Yeah, but his, yeah. but his was a record, um, and the views that he had were way outside, you know, way outside the, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so this notion that, you know, somehow or other Democrats started this whole thing with an unqualified um, Supreme Court. No, I'm nominee. just I'm just describing. Uh, yeah. The beginnings of it. I'm not saying I'm cool with it. Well, no, that's the, you know, that's the history that, you know, that right. they want to put out there. And everything else has been in some ways a reaction to uh to well, work. But, you know, shortly thereafter, you had uh you had your boy Clarence Thomas, who he called that, what did he call it? An electronic lynching. Electronic lynching, lynching yeah. But I hate when people use the lynching analogy. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. Let's let's respect what lynching actually was and please stop using that for things that aren't lynching. Yeah. Which, have you been to that lynching museum? No, I have not been there. That's I, breath, I, I, that looks breathtaking. Yeah. I don't even know if I can go to that. Yeah, I talked to Brian Stevenson mm-hmm. who's, you know, behind that, uh, who's behind that and uh, I saw him just this weekend. I'm going to try to get down there over the next month or so. Yeah, I like how a lot of people <laughs> who are on the wrong side of history use some of the worst imagery that have happened mm-hmm. <laughs> to describe their feelings about something right. rather than the actual actions. Of well, you know, it, you we know. kind of have this general agreement that you're never supposed to compare anybody to Nazis. Well, I, th- I think right. I agree with you. Don't use lynching as uh, Correct. in political discourse. It, well, I, I would say some are Nazis, but I wouldn't use the Holocaust. Right. Right. Because right. I, I think certainly right. Right. <laughs> yeah. some people are Nazis out there. Yeah, yeah there, there, there are some people who, um, let's just say, are not enamored of the democratic tradition. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um how do you feel about, you know, where where is the Democratic Party as a party right now? Are you are you working with the party at all itself? Um, yeah, we have various components I, um, of the party that sit on our board, but we are, we our only responsibility is to deal with this whole problem of gerrymandering and redistricting. Sure. We're not doing anything other than that. But are you concerned 
about like even the way like Nancy Pelosi's been being treated, it seems like um like a lot of the old guards being kicked to the curve a little bit. Mm-hmm. In some ways, especially with the language that's being used, you know, uh Bernie Sanders is kind of this uh, folk hero mm-hmm. now and he's not even a Democrat, mm-hmm. which kinda mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kinda describes where the Democratic Party is in a sense, you know, yeah. where I'm not sure I'm not sure where the party is philosophically right now and if if that's a national movement, I don't know. You know, I, I think that— um, It feels spotty to me. People look at the Democratic Party mm-hmm. and say, oh, there's this huge divide, you know, mm-hmm. the progressives against the moderates. And yet, if you compare, you know, go issue—again, go issue by issue, um, you find out that the differences are not that stark. Now, there there are, with regard to health care, I mean, mm-hmm. some medic, some say Medicare for all. Others say, you know, it's not—you can't, you can't pay for it. Free college, some say, you, you know, you, you can't pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you talk about all the other things, um, whether it's, you know, voting rights, um, questions of, of choice, mm-hmm. um, positions on climate change— the Democratic Party is pretty unified. But I also think that, you know, we have to have a Democratic Party that's large enough so that, um, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can be in the same party mm-hmm. um, as Connor Lamb, the guy from, you know, pretty conservative guy from uh, from Pennsylvania. They can be in the same party. That, mm-hmm. um, you know, we don't have to have these um, ideological litmus tests to call yourself uh, to call yourself a, a Democrat. I don't know so much if it's that. For me, it's like who are who are people going to choose to be the avatar for what they believe in? You know, who's going who they feel is going to represent them properly. This is, I believe, what happened with Trump and the Republican Party. The Republican Party went through an identity crisis with Obama and all that stuff. I remember they had a lot of conferences of what the party needs to do. At that time, they were focusing on immigration. They thought that that was the issue, mm-hmm. in fact, where it was really cult of personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were really looking for that avatar. Who's who's going to represent them in just the way in which they wanted to relate to the world, it seems, is what they rested on. Yeah. And you, know, well, he, you know, we as a party will go through that process um, as a result of the presidential election in 2020. You know, after the midterms, people start identifying themselves as candidates. And ultimately, somebody you know, will be picked as mm-hmm. the nominee, and that will, in a, a very sharp way, define mm-hmm. what the Democratic Party is about and who the representative of so the Democratic Party is. So you think it's going to happen is. by the candidates themselves, right? I think that's at least part mm-hmm. of the process. Right. Um, that's part of the process. Um, you know, I, I think that after the hopefully successful election effort in 2018, you know, mm-hmm. who's chosen to be Speaker of the House, um, who was chosen to be the Democratic— Is it significant if Pelosi is not chosen? That would be oh, that would be very significant. That would show that I mean, would that right. would be a dramatic thing if she were not chosen to be uh if she were not chosen to be the, the the leader of the Democratic Party in the House, assuming to be a Speaker of the House. Right. Yeah. What is your uh, prediction? I think that she will. I think I think the Democrats are going to take the House, and I think that she will be um, she will be the Speaker. I you mean, think they will take the House? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be. You know, I don't know. We need 23 seats, I think 24 seats, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we'll get beyond that number, and I think that she will. Uh, she'll be the. She'll be the speaker. Have you? Uh, are you interested in 
doing more with this, like in politics in general for yourself, for that type of thing? I think well, you've talked a little bit about this maybe? Or? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've talked about it a little bit. What's I mean, going on, Mr. Holder? Well, well, I would say is this. Why I, are you holding on to this, Mr. Holder? Why well, are no, you I'm, getting I'm, out I'm, there? I'll answer this question. But what I say <laughs> is I'm really focused now on 2018 okay. and these elections. I, I mean, understand. That is really where all of my energy is going. Right. At the conclusion good. of that. So, uh, we're only talking a few months, by the way. Yeah, 60 days, 58 days, something like that. Right. I mean, some brothers are thinking about beyond November at this point. Right, right. You know. Well, I'm, I got tunnel vision. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on November the 6th. Okay. Um, but after that, I will um, sit down with my family, and um, we're going to make a—it will be a pretty tough, consequential decision for us about whether what I'm going to run. What would be tough about it? And, and when you say run, run for what? President. Are you talking president? Yay! Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I like the way you said that too. Oh, yeah. That I mean, was like, see, that's that's what I'm talking about. That had you guys should have seen that. When he said for president, he's like, motherfuckers, I ain't kidding around here. I'm putting no. words in your mouth here, of course. Yes. I uh, I, I don't know what the, the, this this <laughs> F word, I'm not familiar with that. I'm restraining myself from the N-word now. <laughs> but uh uh so you're you're really thinking about this, huh? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Um, what I've said is I'm going to decide by the early part of next year about whether I'm, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Why would you want to run for president? What would be the, the biggest reason for you personally, not for as a Democrat or whatever, but you personally, Eric Holder, you know, a man of simple means, came mm. up. Came from Queens. From a log, from a log cabin in <laughs> yes, Queens. Yes, log cabin you know? in Queens. You know. Well, I mean, to— Worked in government a long time, doing yeah. various things, and now you want to be the man calling the shots. Yeah, I mean, and, and what I would hope is that um, I, I'd be a person who would um, revitalize this country. And when I say, well, what does revitalize how? I mean, certainly economically, revitalize this nation, make the country more fair when it comes to— um, Income inequality, you know, we have seen wages stagnate for Mm -hmm. people in the middle class for the last 30 years, while the 1% have uh, gotten disproportionate Mm -hmm. amounts of uh, income growth. What is is the uh, best prescription for that? Because I hear people talk about that all the time, and I never hear quite a good prescription because it obviously is something that's been happening for a long time, Mm -hmm. that gap. You could argue since the 50s, you know, Mm -hmm. and the decline in manufacturing. How do you even address something like income disparity? Well, I think you have to come up with an economic policy that focuses on the people who are in the greatest need. Those people who are poor, those people who are in the middle class, the working middle class. How does the government do that? Well, you help with economic policies through, you know, tax policy, through um, incentives, um, through an infrastructure program, for instance. Mm -hmm. Instead of spending a trillion dollars on a tax cut that wasn't needed, um, you know, President Obama was always talking about a trillion dollar infrastructure program, putting people um, to work. Uh, So there are a variety of things that I think can be done economically. It doesn't mean that government is going to be directing things, Mm -hmm. but the government can certainly be um, a spur to um, greater economic growth. But again, you know, revitalization. Okay, also what revi- else you revitalize our democracy mm-hmm. and to um how are you gonna do that? To come nah, up good luck. certainly nah. with regard <laughs> to you know gerrymandering, hopefully we'll have an impact there. Mm-hmm. Um especially, not, yeah, especially if you have an impact now, that's a good thing to right. I mean I think that we need mm-hmm. to have a new um revitalized um um uh, voting rights act you know, that mm-hmm. was gutted by the Supreme Court. Right. That would be I think one of the first things that I think any 
good Democratic president should do. Yeah, um, a lot of people have forgotten about that already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and we've seen what happened, as mm-hmm. Justice Ginsburg said. You know, you, you got this thing. Watch what happens with these state legislatures, and they simply went to town. Oh, they couldn't wait for that. They couldn't wait, you know. Right. A lot of the things that have happened um, in the states would have been stopped by the mm-hmm. Justice Department under the old Voting Rights Act that uh, the— Roberts Court, I think, mistakenly gutted in a case that unfortunately bears my name. You know, Shelby County versus Holder. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that just pisses me off every time I hear mm-hmm. that uh, that case that case mentioned. What else? What what's your other issue? This notion of um, equality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that we ought to be a society that tries to guarantee uh, equality of opportunity for mm-hmm. people. Not you can't guarantee results. You can't no, do that. You, right. But you can certainly do all that you can to make opportunities available to uh, everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual um, orientation. Mm-hmm. This is a country that is in the midst of demographic changes, the likes of which we have you know, never, ever seen. Right. And that can be something that is a positive for this nation, or it can be exploited in the way that Trump is and be seen as something that is very divisive. But the reality is, that this demographic change that we are uh, in the process of undergoing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. This nation is going to be more brown than it is now and that it, is ever, it has ever been. And um, how we deal with that change will really decide what kind of country we're going to have and the ability that we have to project um, American power and American mm-hmm. values around the world. I still think this is a nation that can be a force for good, Um we can be an example, but um, we have to ask some hard questions about ourselves, face some difficult truths. Um, but I think, you know, properly, uh, appropriately led, uh, the American people are uh, will we'll respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I think, you know, you need to have uh, a person um, as president who's got the vision, who's got the ability to inspire, um, mm-hmm. you know, which I think President Obama did. Um, which I think I, I look back at the great presidents, um, certainly in, in my lifetime or in, or close to my lifetime. Um, those were people who had the ability to make Americans tap into their better selves, mm-hmm. um, and do things in a positive way. Talk about sacrifice. You know, that's something we never talk about anymore. Right. You know, um, you, you sacrifice so that the next generation has it better, um, than, than we did. And I certainly got that from, my parents, I try to do trying to do everything that I can to make that true for the next generation. But I'm not at all certain that at this point we are going to give to the next generation um, a better America. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be more difficult for my kids and their kids um, to get ahead mm-hmm. a, as a result of some of the policy uh, decisions that have been made in the, in the recent past. Yeah, it used to be that the way that sacrifice was shown <clears throat> on a national scale is through the military, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. through. War efforts, it became started to become problematic with Vietnam. But we've been in Afghanistan for 15 years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 2001. Um, yeah. How do you how do you display the need for sacrifice? <laughs> you know, in this environment today, like how do you get that message across? You know? Well, you know, I think we have to try to make people think that um, to be a responsible citizen to be a responsible adult or, or you know a responsible late teen that um you owe something to 
the nation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it doesn't have to be military service. Um, it can be working in distressed communities, um, you know, working with people who have um, disabilities, any number of ways. But I think the government there, you know, we talked, you talked earlier, well, how can the government help? Well, mm-hmm. maybe for people who have um, college loans, we come up with a program where we're going to forgive a percentage of those loans if you will commit to, you know, teach um, sure. in certain places, if you go into the military. It's kind um, of the, the hope of the Peace Corps. Yeah, the promise of the peace. Almost corps like a domestic, almost like a domestic peace corps. Sure. Except that we will reward you for that volunteer effort by reducing the amount of your, you know, your your college, yeah. um, your college debt. I think Americans have always responded well to the idea of service. Yeah. You know, as it's kind of, I don't know, in our DNA in some ways, whether it's charity or or. I think it's something that young people of all stripes, you know, no matter what political persuasion, I think respond to service in a in a positive see, way. I think that's precisely right, mm-hmm. and I don't think that our leaders have necessarily. Yeah, I don't asked think we're demanding that enough. of the nation. I agree. And I think if yeah. you do ask, um, I think people will respond, and in doing so, you can decrease some of this division. Um, you know, if you had. Republicans and young Republicans, young Democrats working together in, you know, in teaching, mm-hmm. you know, in, in some, in some I don't know, rural parts of, of the country, um, inner cities in the country. Um, you put people together, they get to, to know each other. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to demonize somebody that you know. It's hard to demonize Harder, a, yeah. a group of people, <laughs> yes. hard to demonize a group yeah. of people who you've had some interaction with, some familiarity sure. with. And so I think that, you know, this notion of kind of a, a domestic peace corps is something that would be, um, I think, would be favorably responded to by, you know, by American great. people. And lastly, what about America's place in the world? Um, we're still the most powerful nation in the world, mm-hmm. certainly militarily, um, but that's not our real strength. You mm-hmm. know, the strength of this nation has always been um, our ideals, our values, um, and that I think is what. Trump has really eroded, you know. Um, it is a hard thing for, I would think, an American ambassador in some part of the world now to go to an authoritarian leader and say, you know, what you're doing is inconsistent with, um, <laughs> you know, human rights, or right. inconsistent with the ways in which people are, so governments are supposed to conduct mm-hmm. themselves. A um, little more difficult now, a lot more difficult now than it was when, you know, Barack Obama was, was president and his, and his predecessors were and mm. were in office. And so I think um, America's position in the world in that regard, I think, has certainly slipped. You know, we're still militarily the most powerful nation in the world and will mm-hmm. continue to be. But sure. that is not the sole strength of, uh, of this nation, maybe not even the primary um, strength of this nation on, yeah. when it comes to the world stage. I mean, I think it expressed— itself the the nadir of his of its expression let's say is uh when you think of of john mccain who passed away recently you know a guy who you know was tortured in a north korean north korean in north mm-hmm. vietnamese mm-hmm. you know prison of war camp or whatever and we know the story of of him not wanting to go mm-hmm. back out of turn and for him to come out against torture as right. a person who went through torture right. when his party you know, they were trying to waterboard everybody mm-hmm. at the yeah. time. You know, to me, exemplified how America should stand in the world. And when you have a president of the United States who really crapped all over this guy, you know, I think a lot of people admire John McCain for that outside of any other political stuff where people disagree and agree mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. I think they saw that as like a brave stance for somebody to take, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we're hurt when we have a president who ridicules a figure like that in America or any any figure like that, yeah. not just John McCain, but figures of people who have done courageous things at certain times, mm-hmm. you know, for the country. You yeah. know? I mean, think about McCain and the heroic things that he th- things that he did while in captivity, refusing to be yeah. let out until you know everyone everyone was was let go, and then you know suffering another two and a half years mm-hmm. of torture, leading the reconciliation effort yes. between the United States and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, think Absolutely. about think about what that man went through. I think he reconciled with the North Vietnamese exactly. as well too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. with North Vietnam. Yes. I mean, and you think about that. You think about how large a person you had to be. Yeah. Um, what kind of character you had to have. And for Trump, Trump, yeah. to say that he wasn't a hero is something that, from my perspective, is unforgivable. And I have to say that a Republican Party that could nominate a person like that mm-hmm. who would denigrate a true American hero is breathtaking to me. And that says way too much. Well, I think that says way yeah. too much about where this party um, yeah. has come. Well, thank you so much for coming by. I can't well, thanks wait for having me. to see what your next move is going to be. And uh, Tune hope, in early next year. I know. But beyond that, tune in November. <laughs> Get out there, folks. Oh, vote, I, vote, vote. Out, That's why I'm doing this. This is part of me being out there. Right. You know, I, I These little elections, to me, I want people to be aware of the little ones. Right. You know, The little ones affect the big ones. The point you made is yeah. exactly right. Every election matters. That's right. Every vote matters. So, I think we should change that to every election matters. It's yeah. like, guys, vote for mayor. Vote yeah, yeah. for city council. These uh, things matter. School board. Yes, school these, board matters. These are the people who yeah. on a day-to-day basis have an impact on your lives and to a far right. greater degree than your senator or congressman. Because that's the thing that I said I give a lot of the Republican credit for when it comes to the Supreme Court, which is the ultimate prize. You know, Democrats, to me, a lot of times— Respond after it's too late, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of protests against the people who are there. Where it seems like the Republicans do everything they can right. to have that happen in the first place. Right. right. And then, you know, it's just kind of a sit back and say, well, I don't care. Say what you got to say, you know. Well, it ain't going to happen mm-hmm. this time. Eric Holder's on the watch. NDRC's He's on coming, the watch. you guys. We're coming. Coming. NDRC on the watch. Thank you, Mr. Holder. Thank you, sir, for having me. He announced it here, you guys. <laughs> <laughs>